One of the blessings I get, I get to preach twice, but I also get to hear the singing twice, uh, congregationally and then whenever there's specials. Thank you, Carrie, for doing that. How many of you know the song, The Old Ship of Zion? It's really, really old. Some of you, I can remember my pastor singing that, a cappella, a cappella before the church with tears streaming down on his face, and we would sing that together. Well, we're rounding out... Uh, our Christmas series by looking at a song about Zion. So open your Bibles to Psalm 87, if you would, this morning, Psalm 87. We sang, Come, O come, Emmanuel, and we sang, Joy to the World. Well, today we're going to sing a song that we'll title it Heaven's Theme Song. This song, this psalm, I should say, is all about heaven. And we're picking up our biblical hymnals, and we're expositionally singing some psalms of, of Christmas. And uh, the psalms are God's inspired hymn book. They're written in the Old Testament. All of them are written in the Old Testament. Many of them are fulfilled in the, in the New. And each one, we've said our goal is we want to learn the meaning of the lyrics so we get it. We don't just want to mouth words. We want to know what we're singing. And so we'll do that. Then we want to teach the, the tune of the song. Is it in a minor key? Is it major? Is it celebratory? Is it, is it a lament like Psalm 74? And we want to do that so we can feel it. And then I want to inspire you to, to, to want to sing it. And if there's any of the songs that we've looked at, if you're a Christian this morning, this one should already be in your heart. Psalm 74 was a lament for the Lord to come. Psalm 98 is a song of praise. When the Lord does come to reign, joy to the world, and then today we're going to sing a song about our hope of heaven in Psalm 87. Now when the Bible uses the term hope, it doesn't mean it like we often use it. I, we often say, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow for, for the picnic. And, and what we mean by that is there's a, there's a chance that it might, and, and we, 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 we hope that that doesn't take, take place. But biblical hope is is something very different. Biblical hope is the assurance of something that will happen. It just hasn't happened yet. And so we say in the Bible, Jesus Christ is the blessed hope. We're, we're looking for His return. It's not if He will return, but when He, he returns. And it's the same way with, with heaven. Heaven is a believer's hope. And it's not in the sense of if we will we'll go there, we long for the moment of when. And Psalm 87 is a song about that hope. This psalm is the source of John Newton's famous hymn, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, written in 1779. Now, if you don't know Newton's hymn, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, I know you know his very famous psalm because we just sang it this morning, Amazing Grace. Uh, Newton wrote that one as well. But glorious things of thee are spoken. The hymn says, Glorious things of thee are spoken, holy city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken formed thee for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose with salvation's walls surrounded? Thou mayest smile at all thy foes. Psalm 87 is a song about the heavenly city of Zion 
but more importantly, the people that will inhabit it in, in eternity. Uh, Psalm 53, verse 4 says, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. Psalm 87 tells us that that will include more than just Israel. One of my favorite stories about B.R. Lakin was a time whenever he was asked by a legalist if a certain denomination would, would be in heaven. Um, and B.R. Lakin answered, no, I doubt it. Um, I don't think the Methodists will be there or the Presbyterians, and I have my doubt about the Baptists, which this man was. And he, the man said, so who will be in heaven, Brother Lakin? And he said, I'll tell you, it'll be a whole bunch of sinners saved by grace. And Psalm 87 is a song about that grace. Its origin, the origin of that grace, it's the recipients of that grace, and then the joy that comes to us because of that grace. Uh, let me show you how, it's, how it, it lays out. It, it's, it's fairly easy. It's a short psalm. There's only seven verses. There are three parts, and they build on each other. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. In verses 1 through 3, there are three parts. Verses 1 through 3 is a depiction of God's praise and His preference for the city of God and God's preference even for His people. Verse 1, He founds it. His, his foundation is in the holy mountains. In verse 2, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Jacob. There's the preference. And then in verse 3, here's the, here's the, uh, the, the praise. Glorious things of you are spoken. Spoken by God Himself. That's part one. Part two, then starts talking about, uh, we, we learn about the city's makeup. Who's part of the city? Verse four, I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who, who know me. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Ethiopia. This one was, was, was born there. And so we find it's a city of nations. And some in that list are very surprising. And then in verse seven, it's the third part. It rounds it out. Just the last part only has one verse. Verse seven. Then those who sing, as well as those who play the, the flutes, shall say, All my springs of joy are in you. And that joy has a single glorious source. So the preference in verses 1 through 3, the, the people in verses 4 through 6, and then the pleasure in verse 7, or, or we'll call it three verses of, of heaven's theme song. There, there's a verse about God's holy city, His preference, the a verse about Zion's heavenly citizenship, the people, and a verse about the pleasure of heaven's celebration. If you didn't get those, you'll get them as we go through them. Look at this, this first one. The, the first verse is about the preference of God's holy city. Look, if you would, at verse 1. It says, His foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of, of Jacob. And then in verse 3, God says some glorious things about the city. So you have God's choice of Zion in verse 1, God's love for Zion in verse 2, and then God's delight in Zion in verse 3. Verses 1 through 3 is all about the joy that God takes in His people that are represented in the city of Zion. This is not just about a city, but the people who are part of that city. And frankly, when you understand what this song is saying, it's hard to sing it without blushing. 
I mean, you feel a little bit like Peter did when the Lord stooped to wash his, his feet. You remember that, that moment when, when Peter says, no, you're not washing my feet. And, and Jesus said, uh, if I don't do this, you have none of me. And so Peter says, go ahead. But he did it reluctantly. The psalmist says God's choice of this city and the people who are in it is based on his love, which leads to his delight. Look, if you would, at verse 1. His foundation is in the holy mountains. He draws our attention to the fact, right out of the gate, that God is the founder of the city of, of Zion. And he's talking about Jerusalem, the the city of of David, which is the capital city of God's people, which will also be the future capital. So this song has a prophetic focus, and I'll show you the the prophetic portion when we get to the the second part. And the word foundation has the idea of creation. It's it's making or creating something. It's it's used in connection with the temple or or the other buildings. Uh, Psalm 24 says that God founded... The earth, he, Psalm 24, 1, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who live in it, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. It has the idea of God bringing something together, God creating something, God making something. And here, God has, has made this, this city of, of Zion, a city that, that he named. It's no mistake, I mean, you realize that Melchizedek was the king of Salem, Jerusalem. And Jesus Christ is associated with with Melchizedek. I mean, there was no random place where God told Abraham to take Isaac and offer his son as a a sacrifice. I mean, it's not by chance that on this specific spot, God declares that he will provide himself a lamb. It's the same place that the temple, the first temple, was, was built. And sacrifices were offered to point to the one sacrifice that, that was to come. I mean, it's, it, it's no mistake that in 1 Chronicles 21, that when David numbered Israel and God judged him, that David, when he sees the, the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn over, over Jerusalem, he He cries out to God, he confesses his sin, and the angel tells David to build an altar on Ornan the Jebusite's threshing floor. And then David obeys and and, uh, offers a sacrifice there, and then God tells the angel to sheath the the sword. That threshing floor was Mount Moriah. And these hills are exactly the place where, where there would be a future sacrifice in the location of Mount Calvary. I mean, Jerusalem is a special city. It was was chosen by God to be the mercy seat on earth. This is where God will will dwell, and this is where God will deal with the the sins of men, where where the blood of His Son would be spilled. It's a special place. And the capital city of the new heaven will be named New Jerusalem or, or Zion. And the psalm says that that city has been prepared by God himself. I mean, you would expect God to be involved in, in a city with that type of significance. I mean, this is part of his plan. And Isaiah 14, 32 says the, the same thing. What answer will one give the messengers of the nation? That the Lord has founded Zion, 
and the poor of his people will take refuge in it. Jesus said the poor in spirit in the Sermon on the Mount. And he did it because it's uh, because he's the one that founded it. It's holy. Look, look if you would at verse 1 again. His foundation is in the holy mountains. Now, every time I read that verse, I think of the, the Lord of the Rings, or the little hobbit guys who are always trying to go to the holy mountain or whatever it is. Well, this mountain's way more special than whatever that one was named. This means that God selected and sanctified the range of hills and the mountains upon which Jerusalem sets. It's the place that will be the residence of His presence. It's where His glory would rest. And that makes Mount Zion special. It makes it holy. I mean, it's the same thing that makes you holy, or, or the temple holy. There's not something in you. There was not something special about a building. It was God's presence. He makes any person, place or thing, holy because His presence is there. And it also says that there's plural mountains. The idea there are many mountains in Canaan, Sinai and Tabor and Carmel and, and Hermon, and Jacob settled among those mountains, but only one Yahweh personally chose to settle. There would be only one where, where he would, would take up residence. Mount Zion is holy because it's his dwelling place. You remember Psalm 74, verse, verse 2, that we read not long ago? Just three weeks ago, actually. Remember your congregation, which you purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your inheritance. And this Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Zion stands among them, among those mountains, but, but it's more important than all of them because God loves it. Look, if you would, at verse 2. It says, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of, of Jacob. Now, now, don't forget what Zion represents. Zion represents not just a place, but the people who live there. And so the psalmist is saying the people that make up the city are founded and created by God because they're loved by, by God. He creates His people because He loves His people. Well, this is nothing new especially for, for Israel. It's found both in the Old and New Testament. God told Moses in, in Deuteronomy 7 that he did not choose, God did not choose Abraham or the people of Israel because of something that they had done. But he chose them because he loved them. His love precedes his choice. Deuteronomy 7, The Lord did not make you his beloved nor choose you because you were greater in number than any of the people's since you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers. That's the unconditional covenant that He made to Abraham. In Deuteronomy 7, God reminds Moses that God chose Israel. Israel didn't choose God. So when it says here that the Lord loves Zion more than any other city, it means His special delight is in His people. It's not because they were righteous or, and everyone else was evil and rejected God. I mean, Israel worshipped false gods the, the, the whole time. But it's because he, he loved them. Does that make you uncomfortable? I mean, when you read Deuteronomy 7 or, or this psalm or maybe a passage in the New Testament about election, 
This passage clearly says that God favors His people. Well, if it does, then you need to remember the Bible says that God shows no partiality. Now, if that means, it may mean the very opposite of what, of what you think. It means that God doesn't favor anyone because of something that's in them. There's nothing that he, He's partial to. So, like they have more money or better looks or they'll be more righteous than others or more faithful than, than someone, someone else. I mean, the Bible says God is no respecter of persons. There, there's nothing in you for Him to, to respect or favor. So only His love can be the basis of your salvation. It can't be something in, in you. He doesn't show partiality. There's nothing for you to be partial of. That's what He's saying to Israel, right? It's the same thing that He says in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 3. God chose the foolish things of this world, the, the base, the lowly, to confound the, the, the wise. He reminds Israel, don't, get, don't let your britches get too big. You're fewer than everybody else. And that love is the basis of his choice of Zion and its people. Notice it says that God loves the gates of Zion. You say, well, you see a city here, but I don't see a people yet. Well, we're getting there. Look, if you would, of what it says. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than any dwelling in Canaan. Now, um, a city gate sets before the city itself. And the city gate is how you get in. It's the entry place of all the inhabitants and visitors alike. A business was conducted in the gate. Judging was conducted in the gates of the city. It's where the king sat. And you remember whenever David was, was removed as king or disposed and, and he comes back in. They know that David is back as king because he sat at the gate in 2 Samuel 19. So the king arose and sat in the gate. The life of the city flows through the, the gate. God delights, the idea here is God delights in all that, that enter the city and all that happens in the city. And that delight is actually expressed by God himself. Look at you at verse 3. Glorious things, here's our verse from, the, from Newton's song. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. God's choice is based on God's love, which leads to God's delight. Now, if the point about God choosing you because He loved you, when you know what you truly are, causes you to blush, then verse 3 is going to make you want to crawl under your chair. Because the word here, the word spoken, it's an oracle from God. This is God speaking. And He says, glorious things are spoken of of you, O O city of God. There's specific things that he's going to say in verses 4 through 6, and we'll we'll get there in just a minute. But here he describes what he's about to say about the people that are part of the city. It's glorious. It's it's honorable. These glorious and honorable things are are spoken about its king and its citizens. Have you ever been um, the guest of honor somewhere? at an event or a party, and then people get up and say nice things about you. Um, maybe a retirement party or an anniversary, and, and it feels kind of awkward. You don't really like to be the, the center of, of attention. If you do, if you enjoy that, if you enjoy people saying all kinds of nice things, I mean, that's nice for somebody to give you a compliment, but they're just profuse. you got a problem, right? I mean, if, if they you just love people to talk about you all the time, or you like to talk about yourself all the time, you've got a problem. Here, 
imagine what it feels like when God picks up the microphone and He's the one saying things about you. He says, my delight is in Brian, or whatever your name is. Oh, how much pleasure I get from, from Brian. Brian is the apple of my eye. I look forward to eternity when, when we will, will be together. Glorious things, honorable things, when I know who I am. If you can imagine that, then, then you get some idea of how you should feel singing this verse. While there's nothing in us that attracts God's love, He, he delights in us. He gushes over His people, gushes over you. I mean, if it's not enough that the Lord saves us, even though we're sinners, we're His inheritance. I mean, so much so that when the sons of God and Satan himself is gathered before the, in, in heaven, God says, have you considered? Have you considered my servant Job? He's talking about his people, even there. Remember the, in front of the angels. And God talks about you that way because, because you're an inhabitant of, of his city. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Now, I did some research here. And I found a number of cities that were, were, were named. There's the city of love, which is Paris. There's the city of canals or water, which is Venice. And then there's the river city, which is Cincinnati, Ohio, a little less exotic than Paris or Venice. But there's only one city of God. There's only one. You ever wonder why so many people love going to Israel? What it's like? I mean, it's only one place where all those things, took, all those things happen. It's his possession. It bears that title because God founded it in verse 1. That's because he made an eternal commitment to it in verse 2. And now he speaks honorable things about it in verse 3. And if God's speaking is mind-blowing, what's even more amazing is what he says. Look, if you would, at the second verse here. When God begins talking about the people of Zion's heavenly citizenship. View it at verse 4. Verse 3, he's going to say glorious things, describing the, the things that he's going to say, and now he begins to say them in verse 4. I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who know me. Philistia, and behold, Philistia and Tyre and, and Ethiopia or, or Cush. There are unexpected citizens listed here, there are universal privileges talked about, and then there's an everlasting record that's, that's given in, in verse 6. And when verse 4 says, I will make mention, it's God himself speaking. This is what he's saying. It means I will announce, I will cause something to be known, is what God says. Well, what is God causing to be known? Well, well look at what it says in verse 4. I shall mention Rahab and Babylon among those who, who know me. This is a specific people that are among those that know Him. Here's the people that make up the city. I mean, to know God, those who know God, it means to be saved. It means to be part of, of, of faith. John 17, 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, knowing God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Derek Kidner said, in the Bible, when Scripture talks about those who fear the Lord, it's the idea of being related to God. But it's even stronger whenever God says, those who know me, those who fear me, 
and yet those who know me. And that's the term that's used here. And if that doesn't convince you, look at what the end of the verse says. Those who, this one was born there. God is announcing people from these cities who know him, and they're the ones that are included in Zion, the the holy kingdom. But look at how shocking the list is. This includes Egyptians and Babylonians and Philistines. The representative, this is a representative list of Gentiles. Rahab is another word for, for Egypt. We think of Rahab the harlot, but this is Egypt. Egypt, Israel oppressor, is included in the list. Babylon, a persecutor, and the one who took Israel captive. The, there's a people from that city who are numbered in heaven. And Philistia, the enemy that was within the land of Canaan. That's the Philistines. Tyre, the rich neighbor, it's a Phoenician city. It's a Canaanite city. There will be Canaanites who will sing the new song in Revelation. And Cush or Ethiopia is even farther. That's part of Ham, Noah's son that was cursed. People who are the enemies of God are chosen to be included in salvation. Now think about this. How is that possible? I mean, if this is God's city, with the one that He founded, on whose gate He's guarded, this is a holy city, how can it have these people in it? How can it be glorious and honorable for, for God to speak in this way about these kind of people? Is that shocking to you? It should be no more shocking than to know that you are included in this list. As once the enemies of God now made his friends through Jesus Christ. You and I were enemies of God, but we've been reconciled by his mercy. And the Bible says that God shows mercy and he even seeks out people to show mercy to. I mean, the Great Commission was not first given in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It was given in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham when God said, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God had a plan that he was going to bless the whole world. He would do it through through Abraham. And Israel was a light to the Gentiles. God's always been a missionary God. How will all the nations of the earth be blessed through Abraham? Because from Abraham comes the Messiah. Salvation is of the Jews, but it's not only for the Jews. Who sings the new song in heaven that we read last week in Revelation 5-9? They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And Psalm 87 says that includes Egyptians and Philistines and Canaanites. Oh, that song will have a Hebrew accent, no, no doubt. But you'll hear it in English and in Chinese and in Spanish and, and in Hindi and every tongue under heaven. And all those who are part of Zion will have universal privileges. Look at verse 5, if you will. This is what he's saying about who's part of this city that he founds and that, that he loves, that he speaks glorious things about, and, and the glorious things are 
or who's included in it. And it says, this one was born there. But of Zion, verse 5, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High Himself will establish her. Um, To be born somewhere means that you have the rights and privileges of citizenship. I mean, that's why everybody wants to come into the United States and have a baby here, even though they're not citizens, because that automatically, that birth gives certain rights according to the current interpretation. It's what the Apostle Paul did whenever he got in trouble, right? I mean, he appealed to the fact that he was, he was a Roman citizen. There were certain rights. And Israel is called God's people. But the wild olive branch, once grafted in, is part of the same tree and drinks from the same root. And so here are the privileges, the same privileges because they're born in the city. Now just pause for a second and take this in. I mean, seriously, think about this. Can you imagine being a Jew coming upon this psalm and singing it in the temple or the synagogue? I sing of the Egyptians being in Zion. I I sing of the Canaanites finding grace. Does that sound weird? It's be about as about as weird as like CNN saying something good about Donald Trump, right? I mean, in doing it with all their heart. I mean, think of a Jew singing this song. That shows you they did, and they sang it with joy. They didn't sing it reluctantly. It shows you that true Jews understood that salvation was by grace, that they didn't earn it any any more than a, than an Egyptian did. They knew that they didn't deserve it to be there any more than their enemies. And that's why you can forgive your enemies, by the way. You've been forgiven much, so you, so you love much. I mean, how can you refuse to forgive another human being when the eternal God of heaven has forgiven you, his own enemy? I can remember asking Boaz, my friend in, in Israel one time, if he thought that I would be in heaven. That's kind of a, a knife-to-the-throat kind of question, right? You know? Uh, and I asked him, Gentiles in particular, Boaz, do you think I'll be in heaven? And he said, yes, to, to, to my delight. I'm, I'm glad he thinks I'm going to be in heaven. But then I asked him, on what basis do you think that I'm going to be in heaven? Of course, I'm angling to witness to him. And he said, well, there's a passage in Zechariah that, that shows Jews going into the kingdom with, with Gentiles hanging onto their tassels as they, as they go into the, into the kingdom, literally riding on Jewish coattails. That's how I'm going to get into the, the kingdom. Meaning that Gentiles get into the kingdom by the righteousness of the, uh, of the Jews. And this is the passage that, that he was referencing in Zechariah 8.32. The Lord of armies or hosts says this, In those days, ten people from all the nations, that's the Gentiles, will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. The tassels of a, of a garment that they're grabbing a hold of here represents the righteousness of a, of a Jewish man. And then the, the Pharisees took that to extremes, so the rabbis hung tassels all over them. I mean, if one tassel represents righteousness, I want, you know, I want them all over me. And Boaz got part of this verse right. But he got another part horribly wrong, the key part. The psalmist says that Gentiles will get into the kingdom not because of the righteousness of many Jews, but because of the righteousness of one Jew. 
and Jew or Gentile will get into the kingdom clinging, holding on to his tassel, his righteousness. And you don't enter through him, you're not getting in any way, whether you're Jew or Gentile. And so those who are born, you'll see it's a spiritual birth in a minute. But I want you to notice in verse 5 it says that many will be entering. Verse 5. But of Zion it says, this one and that one were born in her. So there's universal rights. There's the rights of citizenship that comes from the birth, not just because you're Jew or because you're, you're Gentile. And it says, this man and that man was born in her, or literal rendering, a man and a man. A figure of speech would be man after man or being born. Many men were born in her. It means the converts of Zion shall be many. And notice how they'll get in. They're born there. And so you finally see that this song is actually prophetic. Because none of these peoples were part of Zion or Jerusalem whenever Israel lived to sing this song. I mean, when this song was written and when they're singing it, there are no Egyptians or Babylonians or Philistines or Canaanites that are part of Zion or part of Jerusalem. They're singing about a future Zion, a future time. And this is not talking about a physical birth. This is talking about a spiritual birth. And what did the Apostle Paul and even the Lord Jesus himself say? It's not because you're a physical child of Abraham that you're going to get into the kingdom. You have to be a spiritual child of Abraham or you're not getting in. And those are the ones who were born in Zion. They're born again through the work that happened in Zion even while this Zion is yet to be constituted. Nevertheless, it has a citizenship record and God knows every name. Look, if you would, at verse 6. The Lord will count when He registers the people. This one was born there. Now, the... The song ends with something profound here. It starts with something profound. That there's going to be God's enemies that are part of the, of the kingdom, not just Jews. But this is also profound. Notice this is repetition. This is the third time it's talking about birth. This one was, was born there. He's already said it twice. At the end of verse 4 and then in verse, verse 5. Uh, um, the first time he says it, it prompts the question where. At the end of verse 4. Gives the list, Rahab and Babylon. This one was born there. And, and, and you go, where? Where is he born? Well, verse 5 gives us the answer. But of Zion, it shall be said. And then they're declared as citizens in two ways. Those who know me and those who are born as part of the city. But this third time in verse 6, God adds his weight. The Lord will count when he registers the people. This one was born there. They're recorded, and they're recorded in his book, and they're written by his own hand. All the names that are written down in his record include people from every tongue and tribe and nation. And remember, this is prophetic. This is none other than the book of life. The names written there long before they ever enter this holy city of Zion 
The Jews are singing about it long before it happens. Did you know that the Bible says that God keeps records? There's some records that I'm glad that God does keep, right? You're glad whenever God keeps the record of you doing something that maybe somebody, nobody gives you credit for, pays attention to. There are other records you wish that God wouldn't keep, right? Things that you say, things that you do. I mean, God keeps His records not because He has a bad memory. He keeps them for us, for proof. The Bible tells us all the records that God keeps. He keeps a record of the works of all peoples. Revelation 20 tells us, I saw the dead, the great, and the small standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And the end of the verse, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So God keeps a record of your works. Well, Matthew 12 says that God keeps a record of your words as, as well. The words that you all speak. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Well, how can he do that if he doesn't know the words? He keeps a record of the words. Every careless word. This one's kind of encouraging. God keeps a record of the days that you will live, the Bible says. Psalm 139. Your eyes have seen my un. Uh, my, my formless substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. So before you ever come on the scene, God writes down the number of days that he's ordained for you. That's, that's encouraging. You're indestructible until God's finished with you. Matthew 6 says that he keeps a record of rewards in heaven. You're laying up treasures in, in heaven. Matthew 56 says God keeps a record of your prayers, your burdens. You've taken account of my miseries, put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? Revelation 5 talks about the prayers of the saints and the altars. None of those are the records that God's talking about here. The Bible also tells us He keeps a record of those who are in Christ. Luke 10.20 tells us that there is a book. Nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Revelation 13.8 tells us when it was composed. All who live on the earth and worship Him, everyone whose name was not, has not been written since the foundation of the world in the book of life. The book of the Lamb who's been slain. Revelation 20, ominous words, tells us the consequences if your name's not in it. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. How are your everlasting records going? I mean, when God opens the book that records your works, what will it contain? Will you wish that they're different? Well, you can't remove something that's already there, but, but you can start a new record today going forward. And whatever is recorded from now on can be different from what's been recorded in the past. How's the record of your words? Are there things that you, you said you'd like to take back? Uh, words that you know you should say? Maybe confession? Well, James 3 says that 
if you'll surrender your tongue to God, He'll help you control it because you can on your own. How's your record of rewards? You have treasures laid up in heaven or are you building sandcastles on the earth, as they say? You can start in 2021, make a commitment to the Lord, a consistent part of your, of your income. And you won't have to worry about the stock market. <laughs> but more importantly, is your name recorded in heaven? Is it written in the Lamb's book of life? And the only way to get it there is by trusting Jesus Christ. While God knows who's written in that book, He freely offers salvation to all who will repent and believe. If you repent of your sins and truly turn to Jesus Christ, God will not turn you away. And if you do, if you come to Christ and you are born into this city, you'll have a source of joy like you've never known. This psalm rounds it up with verse 7, which is the pleasure of heaven's celebration. Look if you would at verse 7. Notice it starts with the word then. Then those who sing as well as those who play the flutes shall say, All my springs of joy are in you. It says then. When, it says when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. That's what it says in verse 7. And the people who are part of this city will sing and dance with joy. There's two exuberant forms listed here. Those who sing and those who, who pipe or play the, play the flute, a flute. They'll dance. And you Baptists that don't dance now, you'll, bath, you'll dance in heaven. That's what this verse says. And Jesus will be the reason that you do. That's what it means. All my springs are in you. The source, all my source of joy is in Zion. That's the idea. What, where I get joy is the fact that, that, that I am part of God's city, that He is there, I'm going there, and I'm going to be with Him for all e- eternity. Jesus is a Christian spring of happiness. And when you truly think of Him, you can't keep from smiling if you're a believer. And you'll sing and dance one day. And why wouldn't you? I mean, God in His infinite mercy, mercy has chosen to reveal Himself to you uh, through the, uh, His choice of the city of Zion, which, which is, is the holy mountain, uh, the place where the, the temple was, the, the place where Christ would die on a cross in order to purchase people, both Jews and Gentiles alike. And, and He'll return to that same mountain one day. And He'll judge the nations. And all who are registered as part of that city who's inside its walls, not outside, will sing and and pipe and and dance. Well, there's the prophecy. Turn over to Revelation 21 and I'll show you the fulfillment. Revelation 21, verse 1. The Jews singing about the Zion that will be, and here it is. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Why is it a new one? Because it's not part of the old. There's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city. It was holy mountains. Now it's the holy city. New Jerusalem. 
coming down out of heaven, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, God was saying something in the psalm. He's saying something again. What's he saying? Now the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. They shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And when that day comes, we'll sing, and we'll pipe, and we'll dance. At least those of us who are inside the walls. The Bible also tells us what's going to happen outside of the walls of this city. Outside of the walls are going to be filled with the opposite of pleasure and celebration. The Bible says that there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth, those who are outside of the city. Inside the city, it's going to be filled with light. The sun, the S-O-N, will be the light. Outside of the city, it will be outer darkness. Total separation from God. You don't want to be outside of the city. You want to be inside of the city. God offers you salvation today through Jesus Christ and Him alone. O Zion, beautiful things are spoken of thee. And we'll say, O Christ, beautiful things we sing to thee whenever we get there on that day. Would you bow your heads? going to pray and then we'll sing. Before I do, maybe as we were going through this list of records, there were some things that you said, yeah, I wish with different works or words. Not enough rewards there, Pastor. Maybe you would say, I don't know if my name is written. Well, now's the opportunity. 2020, the year that everybody wants to see leave, there's a new one coming. There's a new day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Whatever you've done, whatever record is there, record of your sin, God can cast as far as east as from west into a sea of forgetfulness. If you'll let him show you mercy through Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you that you're the God of new beginnings. And I pray that that would be a new beginning for someone today. Thank you for songs that teach us, that fill our hearts with joy to sing. And thank you for the day when we'll be with you face to face in the holy city. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.